1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This will be the last message for this series. Since it will never be the last message in Timothy. But the last one in 1 Timothy for our series. And it will be beginning with 2 um, Timothy um, next week. Which are, it's just a hint, our theme for the year is included in Second Timothy, and it was just a coincidence. It wasn't intentional. It just ends up working that way. First uh, Timothy chapter six, verse twelve says, "Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses." I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The one we have immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man have seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good that they do be, be rich in good works, ready to, to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just ask for your blessing on the delivery of the, your word. In Christ's name, amen. Paul concludes uh, here his epistle to Timothy. Remember, Timothy was an elder, a pastor of the church in Ephesus. And so to summarize... He tells them to fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of faith. The word for fight here gives the idea of agonize in the sense of both military and athletic endeavors to describe the concentration, the discipline, the extreme effort that would be needed to win, whatever it may be. And the good fight of faith here spoken of is the spiritual conflict we have with spiritual darkness, and you could say this like a summary of or a, a concluding charge about what he had just written. Now he told him about um, standing for sound doctrine. He talks to him um, about living sound doctrine. He'll actually talk about that in 2 Timothy. But he talks about different doctrines and he talks about the faith um, that he writes about of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Um, he writes about how we should behave in the house of God. And then he tells them to fight the good fight of the faith, that it's not going to be easy, that it's not just going to be a walk in the park, that ministry is going to have its challenges, that it's going to have its difficulties. You know, there wouldn't really be any ministry going on if every time there was a difficulty in the church, we all just fled. That we're like, oh, you know, we have this hardship, or like the pastor just flees because there's a hardship, or a church member um, leaves because they got offended by someone else in the church. That just really gives the devil a temporary victory um, in our life or in our church um, when we do that. Paul tells us that we're to fight the good fight. This isn't just any useless fight. This isn't talking about literally some type of political fight, but it's talking about the good fight of faith. And part of the good fight in faith is sometimes exposing the wickedness in high places. And high places is often parallel uh, uh, speaking of uh, two things. Those in religious high places of corruption and also at times government um, corruption. Um, that there's wickedness in high places, in places that have authority, and we're to be faithful to fight the good fight of faith um, in the world we live in. And he tells Timothy to lay hold on eternal life, to basically to get a grip of eternity, that, that we're eternally saved in Christ, and to get a grip on that, to really have that be your focus, that to, to understand the things of eternity, to lay hold on it and, and hold, hold to it. And he tells them that you've professed, in verse 12 he says, or to are also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. That Paul is telling Timothy, you've lived of the life is a minister of the gospel. You live the life as a Christian. That others have witnessed that. Others have been able to profess that they see the good that you're doing. And we see that they laid hands on him and ordained him into the ministry. And then he tells him, he gives instruction to Timothy in this book, to lay hands suddenly on no man. That you aren't just quick to ordain someone to the gospel ministry, but that you let their lives show and prove it over time that they're going to be faithful. But he does here credit Timothy of having a good profession before many witnesses. And then we see it speaks of Jesus. He says, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quicken of all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate, witness a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot unrebukable until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 18.
John chapter 18, verse 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Okay, here we see Pilate witnessing a good confession of Jesus Christ. And then we see that Jesus also is going to be recognizing the confession that Pilate is making before him as well. But we see Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. You know, if my kingdom was simply of this world, my servants would fight. And we do see that some of them tried. Peter, quick to draw the sword out when they came to arrest Christ. And then Jesus rebukes Peter. Other times he tells Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. That, that he had a purpose to fulfill in, in will, in, as far as the will of his father. And so when we say fight the good fight of faith, we're not talking about a physical battle. You know, in Ephesians, Paul also writes about that we war not against flesh and blood, that, that is not um, a, a military battle that we go to, so to speak. We're not going over to go try and kill everybody unless they convert to our religion. No, you see, Jesus' message was, be born again. You know, it was, believe the gospel. And as a choice for people to believe or to reject. And so this idea of a fight for the faith is not talking about trying to force converts, but to be faithful to the faith and, and, and to preach the faith, to be faithful, to endure with all long suffering and endure um, doctrinally. Goes on, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a kingdom? He's like, hey, if they don't have a kingdom that your servants fight, are you even a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth, heareth my voice. I would say unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and said unto him, and see what we see that Pilate says of Jesus, I find in him no fault at all. That's the profession Christ showed. That's the testimony Christ had, that in him was no fault. And Pilate, who has the ability to order him to be sentenced to death, he says, I find no fault in this man. And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said, I find no fault at all. But you have a custom that I shall release unto you one in the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And elsewhere, if I recall correctly, also refers to him as a murderer as well. 
He took the sinner over the one that was blameless. Jesus is becoming our sacrifice for us, who was without sin, imputes his righteousness unto us, and took our guilt upon him. When we see, we see Paul saying, Jesus witnessed a good, great, good profession. We see that Paul tells Timothy that, you know what, you've had a good testimony yourself. And then he tells him, going to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and in verse 14 he says, that thou keep this commandment. Verse 13, he says, I give thee charge in the sight of God. Give thee charge. Okay? And the charge is that thou keep this commandment. What's the commandment? And what he's referring to where he said, fight the good fight of faith. And in conclusion, in summary of everything that he wrote unto him in this epistle. Keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. To fight a good fight of faith. To, to continue on. To, uh, Paul, um, in 2 Timothy, you'll see him, right? I have fought um, to the end. I have finished my race. Because he was getting ready to be beheaded. But God simply keep this without spot, unrebukable. That again, that his lifestyle, his doctrine should be unrebukable. That it, that it should be without fault, that it be without spot. Not that we are sinless, we all have faults in that sense, but that overall his ministry would be without fault. That he would be blameless as a preacher of the gospel. And he says to do this until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you continue on till either we die or Jesus appears again. And then he speaks of God um, in these terms. And, and, and he says in verse 15, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate. He says in his times he will show. And you know that, that we see that the Jewish people, they were, as Jesus resurrected, and before he ascended to heaven, um, or Jesus tells them to go and be witnesses unto a both in the Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, and, and then he ascends into heaven, and, and, and first Jesus tells them that, you know what, when, when they're questioning them, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? When is Rome going to be God? When are we going to have our kingdom back? And Jesus said that the Father has that power in his hands. God has that taken care of. Yes, he's given us signs. He's given us prophecies in the Bible where we can know the time is near. But the exact timing, that's in God's hands. Jesus even said, while well, he was on earth, no man know of the day nor the hour. Except the Father. He said, not even the Son of Man. That in his state at that time in flesh, he did not even know when he would be returning. But when the times are to come for him to appear, <coughs> it will show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of Kings. Lord of Lords. And when God
God the Father, through the person of Jesus Christ, comes back, the world will know who's king of kings. Who is Lord of lords? Who only have immortality. Now yes, we have eternal life once we're saved, but God, who was immortal from the beginning, that he had no creation, he had no beginning, he alone had complete immortality, and dwelling and cannot die. We see he died in the person of Jesus, but that he then rose again the third day. And we see dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man have seen nor can see. Now God is a spirit. We see him in, with um, Moses told me, you know, you could see my back part. And when he went by, but he could not see him, God, in his fullest manifestation. Now in the person of Jesus, he was clothed in flesh. He was clothed in humanity, and then we were able to see him. But as spirit, no man could see God and die. But yet, now that we're saved, the Bible does say when Jesus returns, and um, that we'll be able to see him, even as we see ourselves. That we'll be able to see him face to face. But as far as the Spirit itself, no man have seen nor can see. To whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. I wanted Timothy to know that the gospel is really about the person of Jesus Christ. That, that he is God. And then earlier, as we preached last week, we see that Paul gave warnings to, to, to Timothy to guard himself from the love of money. That the love of money is the root of all evil. Not that money is evil, but the love of it, the covetousness, the greed, the lust for the money is why is sinful. He gives them another charge here in verse 17. He says, now charge them that are rich in this world. Give this message to those that are wealthy. Those that have what feels like they have it all. He gives them four instructions. One, not to be high. To not be high-minded. Wealth can bring a sense of achievement. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the Bible says that the diligent make of rich, and the slothful hand make of poor. That, that, that sometimes the reasons people are poor are because they're lazy. Is that always the case? No. You know, if these are Proverbs, um, you know, the Bible talks about with the gospel, that Jesus came and that, that came and made, set free the captives and the poor, um, those who were poor, many would come to Christ. But wealth brings a sense of achievement. It grants power and privilege. And again, those can be good things, but it can also breed pride. There simply is no place for the pride in the kingdom of God. So what Jesus said in Mark 10, 24, Children, 
How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Not that it's hard for everybody that's wealthy to get saved, but those that are trusting in their riches, those that have a trust in their wealth, feel like they don't need God. They feel like, I've done this, I've achieved it in my own power. But if we're mindful of what the Bible says, is that there's no wealth, no power we can obtain except God allow it, except God enable it to be. Those that be rich in the world, again, nothing wrong with being rich. Job was the richest man in the East in his time. We see God clothed Solomon with many riches. We see David was rich. Abraham was rich. Moses was rich. But yet there were many that were poor as well. And he tells them, he says, charge them to their rich. To not be high-minded. We can maybe look at it in all of our lives. You know, where maybe we are blessed with different riches. To not be high-minded. So it's in that, nor trust in uncertain riches. Don't trust in your wealth. What you may have today may be gone tomorrow. We may have a job. And it may be gone tomorrow. Okay, working, managing for security. You know, they could lose the contract and I could lose my job then. And so I'm not to trust in those riches. I'm to be a steward of what God has given me. We all should be good stewards of what God allows us to manage. But we ought not to trust in those riches. And not be fearful when they're taken away. Because our trust is to be in the living God. If we lose it all, do we lose our God? No. As the Bible says, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills too. God owns it all. And if we really, truly recognize and trust that God can take away and God can give as he pleases, when we're in a time of need, we can go to him in prayer and trust in him. But the Bible never makes poverty into a virtue. There is the basic reality that people who must learn to trust God for their daily bread, that they don't know where they're going to get their food tomorrow, they learn to depend and trust in God more often than someone that has a lot of wealth. There's a fine line between having and trusting one. The Bible does say, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. The wealth, whatever it is that God's given you, you don't have to feel guilty or enjoy it. God's given us virtually all things to enjoy. But Paul does tell Timothy, you need to charge those that are rich in the congregation, in the world. Be not high-minded. Don't be high-minded. Do not be haughty about the wealth that you've obtained. And two, don't trust in those riches. 
Don't trust in those, but trust in the living God. And thirdly, he tells them to tell them that they do good. That they do good, verse 18. And for those that have wealth, do good with them. Bless others. It says that they be rich in good works. They be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. The word communicate there is talking about to give. To be able to communicate the resources that you have to give. Now this isn't a forced taxation. This is simply Paul tell Timothy, you charge them, they know that these people will be an example to have voluntarily charity. But to, to keep that in mind, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. This isn't talking about giving to obtain eternal life. This is just talking about laying hold on eternal life of having an eternal perspective. Like Jesus talked about likewise, about um, where, our, our, where our treasure is, there our heart is also. That the things that we spend our resources on, that is where our heart is. Andrew, what's a hobby that you have? Um, I like to read history. You like to read history? You ever buy history books? All the time. All the time? Okay. All right. How about you, John? What do you like to do? Of course, if you spend money on that, sometimes, yeah. Or you try and maybe be savvy, you know, try and find other ways to do things. But we invest things in the things that we like to do. Okay, so you know, I like to hide, I like to backpack. You know what? Someone said there was this video of where a lady says to her husband, you know, we're going to my parents' house, it's a formal dinner, wear your most expensive outfit. And he puts his backpacking gear on. So it's all on and gets ready to go. And so, and so that costs money. But you invest in it. Invest in having the top quality gear so it doesn't decay as quick. Um, and you're trying to get the lightest gear possible and the strongest. And you invest in it. You invest in the things that you enjoy doing. And the Bible says, you know, God's given us all things richly to enjoy. But also to remember to invest in the kingdom of heaven where moth and breast doth not corrupt, where thieves do not steal. And many of you use the application, I believe the application is suitable that we would give to the things that would bring of eternal promises. Uh, giving them to mission works, mission projects, giving them to missionaries that may be able to focus on the mission work they're doing. But it isn't even only talking about giving the financial resources. It's us personally, and with our time, investing in the kingdom of heaven. What's the best way, and okay, what is the most obvious way we can invest in the kingdom of heaven? Anybody have to go ahead and shout it out? Any ideas? How could we invest in the kingdom of heaven? Share the gospel. Share the gospel. When you share the gospel with somebody, 
and they convert, they realize they're a sinner in need of Christ, and they put their faith in Christ, you've increased the size of heaven. You've increased the amount of citizens that will be in heaven. Now again, we recognize that God is God that does the saving. Okay, but I know there's sometimes people that try to get sober in particular. Um, like, you know, don't say that you saved these many people. Well, you know what? Paul actually used that language. He said, you know, I wouldn't if I could, you know, in Rome is Rome unto the Jews is Jews, that I may save some. Okay, so yes, it's Jesus doing the saving, but it's we who are to be messengers of the gospel. And when we share the gospel with people, it is investing in the heavenly kingdom. It is laying hold on the eternal life, onto things that matter of eternal significance. And so look at yourself, okay? You may or may not be a multi-millionaire, but the wealth that you have, are you being careful not to be high-minded? Are you being careful to not trust in those uncertain riches? And many times the big test is when God allows that to be taken away. Sometimes God does that only temporary too. To really get us to really on our knees and trusting and depending on Him and on Him alone. says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. But the gospel message, the ministry of the gospel, was committed to him. And he tells him, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Keep it. Preach the word. As we read before, be instant in season and out of season. Preach the word, keep that which is committed unto you. And he tells them, he warns them here. He says, charge them in a rich in this world. But then he also is speaking to him. He says in verse 9, or verse 8, as we read last week, and have a food and raiment. Let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which ground men in destruction and perdition. He's telling us it's a warning to Timothy to be on guard, to not have a heart that just wills to be rich. It is the Proverbs says, yes. The, the diligent make you rich, but the Bible also says in Proverbs, labor not to be rich, but that not be your end goal. And he says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now many others, many other creatures have fallen from the faith because the love of the money he said, Demas have forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas was when I was there, going on missions trips with him. Now he forsook him for love of the present world. And he tells Timothy, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, Meekness, fight the good fight. He says, 
keep that which is committed to thy trust. God's given you this. Commit yourself to it. Avoid profane and vain babblings. There's going to be those who want to dispute, debate about all kinds of things that don't matter. And there are things, you know, we can study and, you know, read the Bible, and, and people can debate things, um, discuss things, um, want to try to get sharper in things, but sometimes we can give off, get off tilt when we are so focused on something that really is it really going to matter in the long term of things. I've seen the discussions are always harmful, okay? Some people debate about the sons of God in Genesis 6. Who is it? Is it talking about fallen angels who impregnated the woman? Or is it talking about uh, the lion of Seth that was found righteous and they're considered sons of God? And some people, they'll make their own whole ministries focused on that. Right books solely focused on that. But really, what difference is that going to make as far as in the eternity? I say don't say it out, don't have an opinion, don't have an interpretation of it, but what is our focus? Is it these needless debates, a vain babbling, or is it the gospel message? We could debate all day who the sons of God are while people are dying and going to hell. You know, I just heard a preacher mention Ron, Ham Ron Hamilton. Anyone recognize Ron Hamilton? And he was on and he, he's known for having good, godly, conservative music, as opposed to a lot of the contemporary um, rock church music that's in churches. And a lot of people appreciate the, the option of having good, godly, conservative music. But he said this, you know, someone asked him, you know, what do you wish you did differently in your ministry? And he said, if I was to do anything differently, instead of focusing all my energy on why conservative, godly Christian music is more important than the worldly music, one thing I would do differently is instead of being consumed with that, is telling more people about Jesus, sharing the gospel. That yes, I mean, maybe I win or don't win a debate with somebody. What matter who that be? But when you lead someone to Christ, it will make a difference in that person's life. It's an investment in the kingdom of heaven. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. There be those that they would call it science. Falls we so called. We saw so much of it in the last three years. We saw it with also with evolution. It's called science, but it's false we so called. Global warming. You know, we get all worked up about it. Man, here my dad in Montana is having negative 30 degrees weather. And like, does that feel colder than zero degrees? And like, oh yeah, you look at this. It's 62 degrees below freezing. So yeah, it's cold. Okay? I agree, there's climate change. There's been climate change for, for since the beginning. Creation probably, or at least since the fall. I don't know if it was just perfect weather um, before or what. But uh, 
I'm not always perfect, I guess we didn't know that. We get so focused on all of these things that really it's not going to matter for eternity. And so he tells them, you know, avoid the opposition of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. All these different things. You know, sometimes it's the wealth. Sometimes it's the vain babblings. Sometimes it's the science falsely so called. It gets preachers distracted. It gets Christians distracted from what we need to be focused on. I mean, we be committed to fighting the good fight for the faith. I mean, we invest in the eternal kingdom by telling other people about Christ. Grab some tracks, some of those gospel tracks out there. Um, we're, we've ordered some new tracks as well. They'll have more of a story of a gospel presentation in them. They'll be a trifold. And get them out. Invite people out. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to fight the good fight of faith. Help us to be faithful. Help us not to get distracted with the things of this world, with the wealth in this world, but to be focused on you, to not trust in us or to riches. say, yes, you've given us what you've given us to enjoy, but we, may we not put our trust in that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Shake hands, fellowship, and be friendly.